Welcome to the 89th annual meeting of the National Braille Press. My name is Cliff Watkin, and I'm the chairman of the board. And on behalf of my fellow trustees, members, and staff, we're delighted to have you join us in person or live on the American Council of the Blind Radio. We hope you've enjoyed our social hour and had a chance to see the B2G, the tactile caliper, our latest publications, and our print braille menus that we will later showcase in our program later. Thank you to all of those who got those wonderful braille menus printed. At the end of my second year as chairman of the board, I'd like to take a moment to reflect on some milestones this past year. When I stepped into this role, NBP was facing some financial challenges during the recession, which they had been working to turn around. And with the good leadership by Brian and and his management team, adapting the business model, the financials are looking very promising. NBP has also focused its attention closely to expanding its revenue sources and recognizing the opportunities for technology solutions through the B2G and the Caliper. Lastly, there have been improvements in employee satisfaction through better systems, processes, and communication. All these improvements support the organization's road to successful growth. I would like to thank Brian for his leadership and all the NBP staff and volunteers for making NBP a great place to work and supporting its mission. I'd also like to thank the members who have joined us today, members of the corporation, who helped to continue and strengthen our organization. As you may know, we have created um, some member events during the years, during the past year, and what we're going to do is continue to do that this year going forward. So I invite all the members to participate, and if any of you have, would like to share any of your ideas about getting involved with NBP, with any of the committees, or any of the work that we do, please reach out to me, and I can make sure I put you in the right place. If any of the members or trustees would like to give any feedback to me, I'm always welcoming that and open to your ideas. Before we celebrate our outstanding volunteers, retiring trustees, longtime staff, and the importance of advocacy in our day-to-day lives, I'd like to invite Mike Brown, nominating committee chairman, to join me on the stage. The business portion of our annual meeting of the members of the corporation is now convened. Thank you. Uh, What we uh, must do at this point is to have the members of the corporation vote in the new trustees and those who are coming back for a second uh, three-year term. And I would like to uh, just thank at the outset uh, the members of the um, nominating committee, 
who have been uh, Sue Ometer, Shelley O'Neill, Julie Perog, Bill Rader, uh, for helping uh, put together a, uh, uh, I think and hope, will be a very good panel of folks to continue um, moving the press forward. So, nominated, I'm going to go through a list of names when we're done. Cliff is going to call for a motion, and then we'll have a vote. So nominated for a second three-year term, as tr- it sounds like Academy Awards, a uh, second three-year term as trustee are Sue Amateur, Jim Barrow, Julie Perog, and Francis West. Now, nominated for an initial three-year term, and these are new folks uh, to, the, to the press, and I'll review who they are in a moment. Uh, Joe Abley, Chris Cavallarano, Ian Cross, Mark Sadecki, Barbara Salisbury, Paul Schroeder, and Matt Sullivan. The, before we call them up, let me just read a little bit about who each of these folks are. Uh, Joe Abley um, is the former president of the Carroll Center, where he served for five years, and has held other leadership positions in many other areas, such as finance, consumer marketing, uh, and nonprofit uh, organizations. Chris, as I mentioned, is a returning board member who has been a longstanding member of our development committee and in the past served on our executive committee. Ian Cross, a new person, is the director for the Center of Marketing Technology and a professor uh, in marketing at Bentley University. Mark Sadecki currently is a technology program manager for accessibility at edX, and he has over 16 years of experience in web accessibility. Barbara Salisbury has been the CEO of MAB Community Services since 2006. She has held previous leadership positions over at the Kennedy School and was the state budget director under uh, Michael Dukakis. Pat Schroeder serves as vice president of the government relations for the American Foundation for the Blind in Washington, He's a Braille reader and a senior contributing editor to many uh, publications. We have, along with Chris, Matt Sullivan is returning to our board as well. He has previously been on our executive committee. I believe we would, would like to have any of those folks that are here tonight to come up to the stage where we're going to take a picture. I know Barbara's here. Do I have a motion by the members to vote the trustees? Do I have a second? All in favor? Any opposed? Thank you. All right. 
We're now going to go to the annual meeting of the trustees, and what we do at this annual meeting is we now vote in trustees on various committees. And nominating, nominated to continue as officers on the executive committee, Cliff Watkin, whom I thought was a smart man, has agreed to serve another year as chair. <coughs> Vice Chair Nick Maciotis, Treasurer Paul McLaughlin, Clerk Shelley O'Neill. The following have been nominated to continue on the investment committee. David Atala, Greg Fowler, John Copelrude, Bill Hayes, David Kennedy, Paul McLaughlin, Neil Rosen, and Cliff, Cliff Watkin and Dick Willis. The Executive Committee has nominated the following trustees to serve on the nominating committee. Cliff Watkin, Sue Amater, Shelley O'Neill, Julie Pirog, Bill Rader, and our new chair, Matt Richardson. And we have two new members of the corporation. We have Jennifer Bowes is a Braille reader and a researcher studying employment policy and strategies. And Kara Peters has been a certified orientation and mobility specialist at the Carroll Center for eight years. The other two members of the, of the become, we have two trustees that are cycling off there after every two terms, three years each term, after every six years like myself, the trust, the bylaws tell us to get ourselves out of here, let new people take our place, and um, we can, if we'd like, uh, be nominated for members. Uh, both Dean Blasey, who is in the same position as I am, and myself, have accepted the nomination to become members. So we need a picture and then a vote. So those individuals who we just called. Karen Karen and Jennifer, Kara and Jennifer, if you're Before we take a vote, we need to include those current members who have been nominated <coughs> for a second three-year term. Those folks are William Henderson, Scott McGrath, and Andrea Polino. So do, we're now ready for a vote. Do I have a motion by the trustees to vote in the members? Do I have a second? All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Now I'd like to take a moment to honor some 
of our fantastic trustees who are cycling off the board this year. They won't be forgotten, but they will be continuing as members. Mike has been a key member of the Human Resources Committee. He has generously volunteered his time to help with HR issues, to help with the nominating committee, and he's going to continue as chair of the uh, HR committee. Mike has also led numerous editions of the employee handbook and the business portion of this meeting today. So we'd like to present you with a plaque which reads, as an active and thoughtful member of our board serving as chair of the HR and nominating committees, you have educated and engaged our staff in HR policies, and you have laid down the groundwork for new trustees and members to serve NBP. Thank you for all you do. Look at Norman. Hold your pie cup. I just have to say one thing. This, this award is very much appreciated, but uh, on both the nominating and the HR committee, uh, you're only as effective as the people that work with you. And especially on the HR committee, the employees that we have and our consultant, Miwa Watkins, have been just wonderful. And whatever help I can do, I appreciate it. But this really belongs to everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. We would also like to recognize Dean Blasey, who unfortunately couldn't join us this evening, but we hope he is listening on ACB radio. Dean has been an instrumental member of the Center of Braille Innovation. Dean's pioneering company, Blasey Engineering, created the Braille to Speak, sorry, Braille and Speak, one of the first Braille note takers in 1987. Dean, and I quote, as a trustee, technical advisor, and supporter, your passionate commitment to the future of Braille is evident from the many hours you have spent and miles you have traveled to develop the B2G. Your dedication, your dedication and steadfast support have made a lasting impact on the Braille reading community. Thank you. I would like... I would now like to invite Brian McDonald, the president of NBP, to the stage. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, everyone. Hello. Good evening. Trustees, members, staff, friends, and all those listening in Radio Land with thanks to ACB Radio, um, thank you for coming tonight. Since we're on that edge of the summer solstice with 17 hours of light, I promise my speech will be much shorter. <laughs> However, since this is our annual meeting, we do have to start by giving kind of a state of the state or a state of NBP address. So let me just say we're doing great. Thank you. Are there any questions? <laughs> In all seriousness, we have been working for years to make improvements to our operations by identifying and testing the best ways to produce Braille and tactile graphics with new methods and machinery to reduce costs. We have cross-trained our staff for efficiency and carefully added labor where we needed it to grow. 
we recently completed our first UEB Unified English Braille transcription course taught exclusively by members of our staff at NBP because they really are the experts. This was quite an undertaking, 27 weeks for a course, but it was really successful and will allow us for the first time to hire many quality people in the underserved field of Braille transcription. We are nimble, we adapt quickly, and we're having an amazing, talented staff that make that successful. All the hard work is paying off. Our publications department continues to select engaging books for our Children's Braille Book Club, the Great Expectations book series, Iggy Peck Architect is out right now, the fourth series in that book, so check it out. And we continue to produce terrific original books for adults on every subject imaginable, including technology, which is a challenging task. I'm also pleased to mention that Gisele Wilson, who I'm going to embarrass now to stand up in the back of the room, was hired about a month ago <laughs> as our editor and programs manager in publications. Cassell has a strong background in publishing, most recently at Pearson Technology Group, and we're looking forward to her developing great content in new markets that have been underserved. Our development department is working hard to find new foundations, create more events for fundraising, including our premier gala, mark your calendars for October 28th, I'm like a salesman all the time, the Western Waterfront Hotel, and we continue to build more relationships and engage more individuals to support our work. There is a lot of turmoil and uncertainty in the United States with education, Common Core particularly, but also with states trying to define how they transition to UEB. In spite of this, last year was a record year for National Braille Press in the standardized test market because of our hard work to build our reputation for high-quality, on-time deliverables in any format, this has all come to fruition. We are strategically identifying conferences and conventions to present at or participate in to position NBP as a leader in determining the future of Braille and Braille literacy, particularly in the areas of education, technology, production, and business applications. Through these efforts, we continue to gather more data and information to guide us. We're also preparing a comprehensive survey to learn about the thousands of our own customers so that we can better serve them and similar work will follow in other markets. The advances in technology are driving our world in ways that we can't even comprehend yet. Even in the last few years, we've all seen the impact of technology on Braille, and it isn't all positive. Through our Center for Braille Innovation, we have been identifying ways to support the future of Braille and to make it more affordable. The B2G and the tactile caliber you heard about tonight is certainly an example of that. We also recognize that due to these challenges with technology, we need to advocate more than ever about the relevance of Braille in the digital age because technology is not a substitute for Braille. Futurists predict that in the year 2030, computers in the price range of a laptop will have the computational power equivalent to human intelligence. That's in 14 years. And much of this credit I have to give to our friends at IBM because of their creation of Watson, who won on Jeopardy. There you go, Francis and Peter. <laughs> Ray Kurzweil, who works now at Google, recently said, we won't experience 100 years of technology advances in the 21st century. We will witness in the order of 20,000 years of progress compared to today. Wearable technologies, as we've heard, are being tested 
and will help blind people gather information on their surroundings, identify people and objects, and navigate without a cane. And John Fernandez, our local CEO of MassSignEar, had just recently told an audience of teenagers that in their lifetime, blindness will be cured. So what does that mean for National Braille Press? Our mission doesn't change. We continue to produce information in Braille to support the blind and low-vision community and to support Braille literacy. We are positioned well to expand our success in the education market to support students. We continue to expand our business-to-business work to advocate for accessibility in the workplace. And we continue to produce Braille in paper books, e-Braille, digital graphic formats as they become available and evolve, and to strongly advocate for universal product designs to support a Braille output. So one exception that would redefine the scope of our mission is the word national in our name. Our original Massachusetts charter, many years ago now, specifically referred to NBP providing reading matter for the blind in U.S. and Canada. So we kind of were born international. If John is correct with his prediction about the cure for blindness in the U.S., there still will be millions of people in developing countries that won't have that opportunity yet. For years, we have had desperate requests from countries like Nigeria for donations of any material in Braille, and many countries don't have enough paper to even use a slate and stylus. Certainly, the tactile caliper and B2G have an international need and appeal beyond English-speaking countries, and if our founder, Francis Hirati, could see where we are now, I think we would agree that our charter should be to help blind children and adults anywhere in the world whenever we can. Nick Rashotis, a longtime trustee, scholar, and our current vice chairman of NBP recently asked, imagine that National Braille Press has published a book that simultaneously teaches the blind of the world Braille and English. Imagine that agreements are made with such agencies as UNESCO, Doctors Without Borders, and USAID to distribute the book to the world. Imagine that the project has been funded by NSF or NEA or even the Department of Education or the German Marshall Fund. Then, B2G also means Braille to the globe. Is that too much imagination or a vital part of our mission? I think you're in the right, right frame of mind, Nick. I agree with all of your thoughts. We certainly have plenty of work to do in the U.S., but we're already exploring global options with the World Blind Union, China, India, and many other contexts across the globe. Now more than ever, I ask all of you to think Braille, think accessibility, and the right to have privacy along with that information. The wave of technology is moving really fast. Let's make sure that Braille is hanging 10 for the whole ride. Thank you. Now we'd like to discuss how you can encourage greater access to Braille in common day places you frequent, such as restaurants. I'd like to invite our three panelists and moderator to the stage. Please give them a warm welcome.
Hi, everybody. I'm Joe Quintanilla, Vice President of Development and Major Gifts here at National Braille Press, and it's my pleasure to be with uh, folks that really have a great understanding of the restaurant experience for a blind person. And I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves to you, um, starting with my uh, person immediately to my left. Hi, everyone. I'm Naeem Bravo. I've been a proofreader at National Bill Press for about two years, and I'm really excited to talk to you about two of my favorite things, which is Braille and food. <laughs> I'm Chris Devon. I've only been here almost 40 years, um, <laughs> and uh, I love to go to restaurants, and I'm looking forward to this panel. I think it's going to be great. Good evening, everyone. My name is David Tiki. I'm Special Assistant to the President at Legal Seafoods. So one of the things that uh, you may have read last Wednesday in the Boston Globe in the food section, uh, there was an article about how Braille menus are made and the impact that a Braille menu can have on a dining experience for a blind person. Uh, I certainly have um, similar experiences to my colleagues here on the table, but I think it's for those of you who aren't familiar with this or have not seen a Braille menu at a restaurant you've gone to, I think you'll, you'll be enlightened. And I think hopefully you'll join us in advocating for more Braille uh, in restaurants and in other uh, places that we visit day to day. So my first question is for Naeem. Uh, Naeem, often I know that I get frustrated when I go to a restaurant and they don't have a Braille menu. Have you ever had that situation? And could you describe uh, what that may have been like? Sure. Well... Unfortunately, this happens more often than not. Um, I, no matter what, when I go to a new restaurant, I will always ask, do you have a Braille menu? Sometimes right away they'll be like, no, or I'll check, or sometimes I get surprised and it's like, yeah, we have a menu, here you go. But um, unfortunately, like I said, that's not often the case. Um, usually... Um, servers are usually very accommodating. They're willing to read the menu, or I could look up the information online, but let's face it, when I go to a restaurant and maybe I'm on, I don't know, a date, you know, that happens, uh, I, I don't really want to be looking at my phone or talking to a server. I want to be talking to my date. And it, it can be frustrating. It can certainly take away from the whole experience or even when I'm not on a date, because that happens too, and I'm sitting around a table with people. I feel like part of the restaurant experience is actually reading the menu, like reading the descriptions that the restaurant staff have put together to describe the amazing things I'm going to eat. And, mm -hmm. and that's part of it. And, and I, I miss that often. And Chris, I have a question for you. you you've been at National Rural Press almost 40 years, so you must have eaten out a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, with the, with the fabulous salary that I get, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So my, my question to you is, uh, you, you have come across uh, restaurants where there are Braille menus, and what is that experience like when they actually have a Braille menu available to you or your group? Well, I think it's great. Um, one of the things that I remember is I, I had uh, my best friend, Rick, who was partially sighted, and he was always helping me get places and so forth. But he's one of these people who's sort of betwixt and between. He never learned Braille really well. He never learned print to be able to read that really well. And when we went to Chicago in 1994 to the ACB convention, and by the way, I'm looking forward to meeting uh, many of you listeners there in uh, this year, 2016, in Minneapolis, and I was able to read to him. I read to him all week the menu, and it was so great to be able to give back to him because he had given so much to me over the years. And I, I often go out with a group of blind people, and, uh, you know, 
the poor, partially sighted people are trying to read in darkened restaurants and so forth. If we've got a Braille menu, we've got, we can read to them if we need to. Also, the other thing to remember is, you know, people download menus and you say, well, you know, now people have iPhones. First of all, not everybody has iPhones, but not everybody in the general public has iPhones. I mean, that's just the world. You know, it's coming, but not everybody does. Does that mean they're going to take the menus off the tables? Does that mean that print readers will come in and they'll just grab their phones and read the menu? No. And that's the point of Braille access. The point is, if the world were, uh, if, if we didn't need hard copy Braille at times, we wouldn't need hard copy print either. So the next time you go in a restaurant and you see no menus, then we'll have changed uh, course in our lives. It'll mean a whole different thing, and maybe we won't be advocating for Braille menus either. But as long as you see print menus, there should be Braille menus. Thank you, Chris. David, you've been with Legal Seafoods for uh, a long time, and Legal Seafoods, I will call one of the leaders in the restaurant industry that will provide large print and Braille menus. What was the motivation for Legal Seafoods to do this? Well, first of all, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity of being here, and congratulations to NBP and the nice article that was in the Globe last week. We at Legal Seafoods have Braille menus because we see it as it being consistent with our core values. Legal Seafoods is a family-owned business. It's owned by the Berkowitz family. And uh, as part of our core values of uh, industry leader and quality and in our culture and respect for human differences and all human differences. So we want our guests to have the best experience that they possibly can. And that means all guests, including blind and visually impaired guests. So many, many years ago, we began having our brailles, uh, braille menus brailled. And uh, it's not only the uh, braille menu for adults, but we have children's menu. We have the dessert menu, appetizer, lunch. And I am proud to say we have a wine list. And in, in, uh, in, in, uh, we were the first restaurant organization in the country, my understanding, to have a Braille wine list. And as blind folks here, here this evening and listening will attest, blind folks like wine every bit as much as sighted people <laughs> like wine. So we, uh, we did have a nice uh, acknowledgement from the uh, industry magazine, the Wine Spectator, about that. So in short, Joe, the answer to your question, it's really the right thing to do, it's good business, and it's con consistent with our company core values. Well, let me ask a, a follow-up question, David. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the restaurants, when we ask for a Braille menu, and they'll bring the manager over, and they might ask, uh, you know, how much will it cost, or, um, you know, how, how big is it? And then they might say to us, you know, it's too expensive, to produce this in Braille, we can't afford it. What would you advise those restaurateurs about that issue and, and if, if they ever said that to you? Well, I would say a few things. One is that, again, it's the right thing to do and it's good business, but also it's money well spent and in, in ways that they may not at that moment realize. For example, Legal Seafoods, we over the years have received several uh, compliments from people who have emailed us, who have called the company and said, you know, we've observed uh, at your restaurant that you have Braille and large print menus for your guests in your restaurants. 
And, you know, that word, that word spreads. And for us, it's all about return of guests. If you were to ask someone at Legal Seafoods, what's the company's mission, we would say ROG, return of guests. That's not shorthand for Roger. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's return of guests. And, and it's money well spent, and uh, those guests will bring other, other guests. And we, we also strive not only for the Braille menus in the restaurants, but we have a website where people can do mail order, and uh, that is also uh, accessible. But again, with the restaurants, with over 30 units in different concepts like the legal test kitchen and um, legal sea bar and the legal herbicide, it's important for us to have menus there for, for all people. So one of the frustrations that I have uh, as a blind person going to a restaurant and they don't have a Braille menu, I will sometimes get the question from the server, what are you interested in? And it's always the most annoying question I get because I don't know because I don't know what's there. I don't know what I'm interested in yet. So, Naeem, you, talk, you spoke about earlier uh, about... Uh, obviously, you love food, you love going out, but the experience of reading a menu and what's on it, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Uh, let's say, like a, a, for me, like a Life Alive restaurant or vegan restaurants where the ingredients could be something I don't ever recognize, but is that, is that a joy to, to be able to discern all these different things that go into a, a, a food choice? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So on a personal note, for a while and sort of now, I try to eat as plant-based as possible. And and so like when I show up at a, a new restaurant, not, not necessarily one that's catering to that sort of um, taste, you know, like the first thing is like, well, what, what can I eat? Or... Um, what what is this? What is all in this? Because you could you could tell me the name of, of something, but usually the description in the menu tells you everything that's in it, often how it's cooked, what it's looked like, what it's nestled on. Um, the asparagus is snuggling the steak. I don't know. I don't write <laughs> menus. I just proofread them. Um, but. You know, and, and oftentimes, like I said before, uh, servers are, are super willing to do that. But, okay, you're a server. It's a Saturday night. You have a thousand tables. And, and, and I can't help but feel like, oh, my gosh, maybe I shouldn't make this poor server read the menu five times and then be like, oh, by the way, is there meat in that? And, okay, there is. Let's start again. Um, and... And so it's just a very, very long ex- experience. And if you're listening to them read and maybe there's a live band playing mm-hmm. or, you know, someone's knocking over glasses and <laughs> making a lot of noise, like, it, it just detracts from the whole, it detracts from the whole thing. And it just, it makes it an, an ordeal and not, not quite as pleasurable as eating out should be. And Chris, I have a question for you. I, I'm... I'm almost as old as you've worked at NBP. <laughs> so, so in, in my uh, older days now, I, I hear a lot of younger blind people wanting to defer to technology or use this phrase, I don't want to be that person to ask the server for it or ask for Braille material. What, what's your advice to anyone who has reluctance about having Braille access. Well, as I said before, when they take the print menus away, then, start, then you're, you're right. You, you stop worrying about it because the, the point is we can walk into a restaurant. The, one thing to remember is we, 
if we walk into a restaurant, that, and this is a point for the restaurateurs out there, we walk into a restaurant and we know and we find out or we've heard before that there's a Braille menu, we're going to come back. We know that they want us to be there. And, and when we, you know, go to a restaurant, we, uh, well, I'm not saying we all tip, but we try, you know. Uh, but, you know, the, po- the point is that we, we really can get very loyal because we know where it is. You know, we're going to get there either by paratransit but or to travel independently depending on the location around the city or around the country. And so we're going to get loyal. I mean, there's plenty of restaurants that my wife and I and our friends go to all the time. And one of the reason can, reasons can often be that they have the Braille menu. So that's one thing. And as far as advocating, well, that's part of our life as a blind person. We need to advocate. I mean, Naeem is in, in uh, the NFB. I'm in the ACB. So we're the right people to ask about that. I mean, you have to advocate. We will not get anywhere in this country for blind people if we don't advocate for ourselves. There aren't enough of us to just say, oh, well, we'll just let things happen. Everything will be fine. Both organizations in different ways know that that has to happen. So we need to be that person. We need to be the person who says, is there a Braille menu? Yes. If they don't have it, well, it puts the thought in their head. Maybe they'll get it. And they'll say, well, we don't have blind customers. Well, maybe you'd have blind customers if you had Braille menus. Thank you, Chris. Uh, And one of the things I'll add to that is uh, I always encourage my friends who aren't Braille readers to still ask for Braille menus. So if you're out there listening, always ask. Even if you memorize menus to some restaurants like I do, it's still good to have the Braille menu as well. So let's give another round of applause to our great panelists today. So uh, one uh, additional way for all of you here in the room or listening that can uh, continue to advocate for Braille literacy, we have a hashtag Braille menus. So when you're out dining, take a picture of your meal, take a picture of your Braille menu, and uh, send a hashtag at Braille menus. We will repost on our Twitter feed, our Facebook page. Uh, Also Instagram, if you want to take pictures of Braille menus, please do so, any social media. Not only will it help us as a blind community know where there are Braille menus so we can make those dining options, but also it's a great way for us to continue to advocate. The more people see that there are Braille menus out there, the more that they'll be expected. And lastly, uh, I mentioned the food section of the Globe last Wednesday. So I, I look forward to the day where they do a rating of a restaurant, which they currently do now, and at the bottom they'll put wheelchair accessible, yes. I hope that there will be a day, and with our efforts on social media and advocating in person, that there will be a section after wheelchair accessible, or before it, doesn't matter, uh, that is there a Braille menu, and the answer will be yes. Thank you. Uh, Now I'm going to introduce our manager of events and volunteers, Elizabeth Kent, for the presentation of our volunteer awards. Here's Elizabeth. Thank you. National Braille Press would not succeed without the hundreds of volunteers who walk through our doors each year. In fiscal year 2016, we had over 400 volunteers put together over 4,000 print Braille books for our Children's Braille Book Club and um, Bumpy Basic programs. 
promote our mission in their workplace and communities, helm technology projects, and help make our Million Last for Literacy Gala and red, white, and braille wine tasting successes. Volunteers are the cornerstone of National Braille Press. We'd like to first recognize a family who has volunteered at the press for the past five years, Joyce, Martin, Michael, and Catherine Middleton. They're some of the first people you've probably met when you arrive at the gala and receive that all-important bidding card and name tag, or when you collect your big auction win at the end of the night. If so, then you know firsthand that the Middletons are some of the friendliest and most committed volunteers we have. They work hard that evening, evening, knowing that the money raised is going to a cause that they're passionate about as members of the Lions Club in Bridgewater. That passion led to Michael, a print reader, to teach himself how to use a slate and stylus so he could brand materials on the fly at the gala. Always with smiles on their faces, the Middletons are willing and ready to take on any situation, and their knowledge and customer service is invaluable. As we've told them at the start of each gala night, it wouldn't be the gala without the Middletons. Joyce, Martin, Michael, and Catherine could not be here because they're attending the Lions International Convention in Japan. Uh, so accepting the award on their behalf is fellow Lion Don Rice Norton. It's uh, quite a privilege to play even just a really tiny part in um, just accepting this award for um, my friends Middletons. Um, as Elizabeth said, their passion and, and compassion and commitment to volunteering is just astounding. They're a formidable team, and by formidable I mean in a good way, and they're very much a team. What they do, they do together, and they all do it well. They're a very talented family. They're a very involved family. Their schedule is just prohibitive. Just to follow it is just incredible. And um, as Elizabeth also said, they, ju- they um, arrived in Fukuoka this morning. Um, Joyce is running for international director, which to a, lo- a non-lion might not mean much, but they're, they're one of 30-some across the world. So um, if elected, she'll be furthering her uh, volunteer work with the Lions by traveling around the world and being uh, an advocate for the Alliance. But they're involved in Lions, Leos, uh, youth exchange around the world. It's just amazing what they're uh, involved in. Their motto is uh, go big or go home. And again, in a good way, they don't do anything halfway. And there's no way that any of, of these four up here would tell you um, any of this. But you know what, I'm here getting their awards, so I get to tell you um, a little bit more about them. But they did leave some words, and so um, if you don't mind, I'd like to read them for you. Um, The Middleton family is humbled, honored, and thrilled beyond compare to accept this very unexpected recognition. As lions, working to eradicate preventable blindness is a major goal in our lives. The National Braille Press Gala is an extraordinary event that we look forward to participating in as a family each year and lending what little help we can to make it a success. 
Thank you for this wonderful honor. We look forward to seeing any, everyone at the next gala on October 28th. Thank you. Okay, our next recipient is IBM. Since 2011, IBM as a corporation has been an important part of the NBP community. The generous philanthropy and volunteerism goes beyond and above everything we've ever expected. In reality, I have to say that our connection with IBM began in 2008 when I first met Frances West when I had just started at NBP. She's the chief accessibility officer for all of IBM globally. Frances has been so helpful to introduce us to contacts around the world, and she hosted our Because Braille Matters luncheon in Austin. IBM has also volunteered at our Baltimore luncheon, and they have attended MVP events and put together books for our Children's Braille Book Club. The support has helped us build important relationships with our Braille reading customers. I'm proud to recognize Frances for her leadership and all of her team, including Peter Fay, who is also local, Thank you for making Braille Literacy possible for blind children and adults. Could you please come up and accept your award? I didn't realize the speech was in order, so I'll keep it short. Um, as Brian mentioned, we have been um, very active for the past four or five years uh, working with National Braille Press and um, frequently sponsor a table at the gala. And one of the things that's been so much fun for us uh, being at the gala every year is we invite our clients and partners and other uh, colleagues from IBM to build awareness around the advocacy and the great work that MVP does. And so we're looking forward to doing that again um, this year. And also, we've had a great opportunity to meet wonderful people, attend really fun events like the Lowell Spinners game uh, from last summer, and we look forward to um, continuing the relationship as we go forward. So thank you, everybody at MVP. Great. Thanks. As you heard earlier, but we'll repeat it again, at National Braille Press, we're fortunate to have staff that are dedicated and passionate about our mission. Nine members of our team have been here for more than 20 years, demonstrating their commitment to Braille through their countless hours and dedication to producing the highest quality Braille materials we can make. Today, we honor them with a new tradition, the Length of Service Awards. So I'd like them to start and come up when I, um, we can cue them in place here. The first one is Elizabeth Bouvier, 22 years of service. Every day, quick-witted Elizabeth Bouvier brings joy and humor to the production floor and, we give, and when we give a public tour. Her hard work in collaborating and collating, I should say, I'm sorry, over the last 22 years has been dedicated and thoughtful. 
She reminds us daily that our work at NBP has heart and should be fun. Thank you, Elizabeth. Kim Tan, 25 years. Kim has been keeping education bindery on target for 25 years. She's a strong leader and always working to get things done right for the first time and quickly. Her laughter is infectious and her meticulousness has helped us keep our education clients happy. Thank you so much, Kim. Tracy Reynolds. 27 years. Tracy is easily one of the hardest workers in the building. Her work ethic and co-leading over the last 27 years is an inspiration to us all. Thank you, Tracy. Kitnam. Oh. Kitnam, 27 years. Kit has been working for NBP for the last 27 years and in that time has never stopped learning. His drive to know everything has made him a highly skilled machinery technician and expert in design software. Kit approaches all challenges with a can-do attitude. Thank you, Kit. Joan Souza can't be here now. She had to leave. She didn't feel well, but she's been here 29 years. Joan is an invaluable member of the co-leading department, and her thoroughness has helped us complete high-quality work consistently for these past 25 years. Joan is everyone's friend and cares so much about our mission. Yang Pao. <laughs> 30 years. Yang has been the skillful and quiet leader of Bindery for 30 years. Yang is the definition of loyal, and his commitment to MVP is truly motivating. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Yang. Edward Kochanowski. 34 years. Ed has been a dedicated proofreader at NBP for the past 34 years, approaching changes to Braille codes and Braille technologies with optimism and perseverance. Ed always has a joke ready and keeps us laughing. Congratulations, Ed. William Mailing, 36 years. For 36 years, MVP staff has been able to count on a friendly hello from Bill each morning. He is our plate embossing expert 
and trivia guru, quick with a smile and an interesting anecdote. Congratulations, Bill. And last but not least, Christopher Devon, 40 years. Chris is our longest tenured employee of 40 years. He helped establish our international reputation for perfect Braille with his attention to detail and vast knowledge of Braille codes. Chris can also provide a comprehensive oral history of the press, including the start date of each of his colleagues on demand. So, congratulations, Chris. You a picture? We'd now like to play a special message from our Vice President of Production, Jackie Sheridan, who's away at one of these education conferences, the National Conference on Student Assessments, this week. Roll it, please. Do I have to press a button? Oh, sorry. I'm technology, aren't I? <laughs> Thank you. Did you do something for your audio too? Hi, everybody. I'm really, really sorry that I can't be there today. Um, I was so excited when Elizabeth and Joe told me that we would be honoring all of you at this annual meeting, and I was bummed that it's the first annual meeting I think I've had to miss, and I can't be there. Um, but I just wanted to say that I am so grateful to be able to work with all of you. You are all so wonderful and in every way, and you really are um, the heart of the press, um, you know, in addition to the Heidelbergs that we already have. Um, but um, I'm sorry I can't be there to be with you, and I will definitely give you a hug when I get back. So thank you for being so wonderful to work with. You've taught me a lot in my time here, and um, I know you really had a wonderful effect on all those around you. So thanks. Congratulations. Thanks again to our nine outstanding staff members for their years of professional service and exceptional commitment to Braille. Thank you very much. To our passionate volunteer awardees, the Middleton family and IBM, our business partners to Legal Seafoods, and all of you who have joined us with this special evening tonight, thank you so much for your support. Most importantly, I thank you for strengthening our and enriching enriching our community, for your support and belief in our work. Together we can promote the importance of Braille in restaurants, in our schools, and in our workplace. Have a great evening, and thank you for coming.